Right, I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to Jonah chapter 3. Uh, I'm also going to be, the bulletin also has the verses we're going to be looking at. Before we look at the verses for today, I just, you know, this is such a short story and it's such a compelling story that I want to set the tone by reminding you of where we've been up to this point. And so if you haven't been here, um, just a quick rundown. Um, And if you have, remember the the flow of the story because it builds as the story goes on. God comes to a prophet named Jonah and he calls him to go and preach judgment to Israel's enemies. Okay, this nation uh, called Assyria uh, had the capital, its capital city was Nineveh. And Nineveh had been oppressing Israel. Uh, they had conquered Israel. They had been exacting tribute from Israel for an entire generation. And they, these Ninevites, the, these Assyrians, they were wicked. They were evil. And so God calls the prophet Jonah to tell them that he is going to destroy them. Okay? So this is like the dream of any Israelite, especially any prophet, to go and announce judgment on God's enemies, on Israel's enemies. But Jonah runs away. Okay, remember this map? Um, whoa, there we go. Um, Nineveh is 500 miles to the east, and Jonah gets on a ship headed for Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles to the west. And we have no idea why. <laughs> this is inexplicable, because uh, doesn't Jonah want God to judge Nineveh? I mean, everyone else in Israel wanted judgment to come on this nation that had been oppressing them. But Jonah runs away, and God... Like a good father chases after Jonah, but Jonah refuses to turn around. He refuses to listen to God, and he even chose death over obeying God. And so Jonah ends up being thrown into the sea off the ship uh, that he was on, and Jonah is drowning in the ocean, and then he finally cries out to God for help. He finally confesses his sin, and God responds to Jonah's cry. Jonah's desperate and undeserving cry uh, by saving him through the miraculous shelter of a fish. God appoints this giant fish, swallows Jonah, and he is rescued uh, from judgment and death. And Jonah's overwhelmed. In chapter 2, Jonah becomes lost in wonder. I mean, he is worshiping God for God's goodness, even in the belly of the fish. And so Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, presumably while the fish swam to where God wanted Jonah to go next. Uh, and then the fish vomits Jonah out onto dry land. Okay. Then we saw last week, uh, God comes to Jonah with a second chance and he recommissions Jonah um, and tells him to go and deliver God's message of judgment. And this time, this time Jonah obeys God and goes to Nineveh. And the big question for us is, What's going to happen when he gets there? And then why does it matter to us? Okay, that's what we're going to talk about today as we pick up the story. And we're going to start in verse 3 of Jonah chapter 3. It's in your bulletin. It's the second paragraph there. Um, It says this, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Okay, so Nineveh was huge as a city back then. It was the capital of the world's largest superpower at the time. And so I want you to think about, like, think about this. Think about Washington, D.C. and New York City and Hollywood all combined. 
Okay, that would have been Nineveh. Okay, that's Nineveh. And so Jonah begins to preach. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is the message. Jonah's message was doom and destruction. Okay, doom and destruction. Basically saying, look, it's over. You are done. God has had it up to here with you for all of your evil, and he's going to destroy you in 40 days. So you got 40 days to realize that this is completely controlled by God. He's predicting it. It's going to happen. And so this is bad news, but if you have been here before, you remember that Nineveh deserves this. Okay, Nineveh deserves this for all of its evil, for all of its self-indulgence, its brutal abuse and oppression of others, especially the brutal abuse and oppression of God's own people. Okay, the Ninevites massacred their enemies. They mutilated their prisoners of war. They were known to dismember, decapitate, and burn people alive. Okay, and so... The kind of destruction, this, this idea of being overthrown, like this was something that, this wasn't the only time where, where this happened in the Bible. This actually happened to um, an area called Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19. It says this, in Genesis 19 verses 24 and 25, it says, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities. Same word as what we find in Jonah. Um, and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. And so step back here for a second. So, so Jonah is announcing this message that you're going to be overthrown in 40 days. Right? Jonah enters unprotected into the capital city of the greatest empire known at the time. This was a city full of people who were wicked and violent, especially to outsiders. Okay? And he came from a smaller nation that they had actually conquered. Okay? And he declared that his God would utterly destroy them. I mean, this is Jonah walking into the lion's den. I mean, when I think about this, like, especially when you make the connection to Sodom and Gomorrah, you wonder what exactly are these people going to do to Jonah? We find out the next verse, verse 5. It says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. I mean, this is unbelievable. If you were reading the story at the time, if you were a child growing up listening to the Jonah story, you'd be like, What? They, wait, 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 you read that wrong, Dad. You read that wrong, Mom. Or no, no, that's not how, wait, wait, what? They, re, they, they believed God? They repented? They turned the direction of their lives around. Everyone, from the least to the greatest, right? the lowest slave to the king himself. Try to wrap your mind around this. Like, what is this saying? Like, think about today. Think about this. Imagine an entire nation of radical jihadists. Okay, imagine then a Christian from the United States, right? The great evil empire, 
right? The, the world's plague, right, to them, into their eyes, going to that nation and telling them, look, in 40 days, God is going to destroy all of you. All of you, your entire nation is going to be destroyed. And then that nation gives up their jihadist ways and believes in Jesus. Like, think, like that's what we're talking about here. Um, or let me be a little closer to home. Imagine a Christian from Africa coming to the United States. Okay, imagine that African confronting our nation's rampant and systemic evil. Right? Imagine um, him or her coming and confronting our materialistic worship of money, our obsessive worship of sex and sexuality. Um, confronting our incessant bowing down to our need and desire for power, for the approval of others and the attention of others, and imagining all of America, from Washington, D.C., to Hollywood, to Wall Street, to San Diego, everyone confessing their systemic and their personal evil and repenting. I mean, think about every politician, every individual in the entire nation, people on both sides of the political aisle turning from their national and their individual sins. Sounds unbelievable. But this is exactly what happened in Nineveh. Verse 5, this is just the summary um, this is sort of the summary topic sentence. You know, when writing, you, you write a topic sentence to tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, right? Verses 6 through 9 give the details uh, of what happened. In verse 6, it says, The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, recovered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And so the king heard about Jonah's preaching, heard the message. And again, remember, this is the most powerful man in the world at that time. You'd think that this wasn't the first time somebody else might have said something about another god. There were gods all over the place back then, right? You would think that he would have just sent his army to kill the stupid prophet, right? Like an irritating fly that you would get the swatter out and just like, <clears throat> and you're, you're done. You just move on with life. And yet, that's not what the king does. Instead, he turns and he changes the entire direction of his life. Why do he do this? Like, what would possess him to make a change like this? Ah, I don't know. Like, trying to think of a human reason. Maybe it's because the fish man showed up. I mean, maybe Jonah looked like he had come back from the dead after being in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. He probably smelled like it. Yeah, he probably did. Um, well, so he goes on. There's more details. Like, look at the details. So he removed his robe. And it's important to see the details here because um, these details show us what it looks like for the king and even for us to turn the direction of our lives around or to turn the direction of our lives back to God. So he removed his robe and covered himself in sackcloth. And so the robe, this is the royal robe, the sign of the king's authority, his power. And so he took it off and put on sackcloth. Okay, sackcloth. This, was, this wasn't even cloth, really. It was a sack. It's what you carried your grain in, your feet in, your... I mean, it was like grocery bags, 
right? If you think about them, especially like reusable grocery bags, right? Because they're a little stronger now. Um, and so um, this wasn't clothing, and yet it was used to clothe slaves, okay? This was the clothing of slaves. Cloth, it was cloth made out of a sack. Um, this was what you would use to clothe people who weren't worth giving clothes to, Okay, so I want you to think about, um, you know, the house elves from Harry Potter, right? This is sackcloth. This is what this is, right? This is what they were wearing. And so to wear this was an incredible act of humility. The king, especially for the ruler of the world's most powerful country. I mean, can you imagine President Obama wearing a trash bag? Right? Why he wouldn't do that, and yet, um, and yet this 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 ruler did. The king of Nineveh did this, and he sat in the ashes. Okay, the verse says he sat in the ashes. Now this this means you're basically saying, look, I am no better than dirt. That's what you're doing. So he leaves his throne and he sits in the ashes. And so this is a king who is completely humbling himself. Okay, this was so humiliating. I mean, this isn't the kind of thing that you would do to try to impress somebody, but you really didn't mean it. You had your fingers crossed behind your back. I mean, you would never do this because you could never, ever go back. Once you did this, once people saw you in this way, they could never unsee you like this. And so the king completely humiliated himself, and he was demonstrating that he saw himself as no better than anyone else. That's what the king is doing. And so why? Well, he's admitting that he has sinned. He's admitting that he has been evil. And before God, he is no better than anyone else. In fact, he is working hard to show that he is beneath everyone else. This is the kind of humility when you realize your guilt before the presence of God. I mean, all of us can look around, all of us can find some people in our lives, people that we know, and we're like, well, at least I'm not like them. There's a temptation there, isn't there? And yet, before God, all of us have fallen short. All of us don't match up to his standard. And so what the king does here, physically, with his outward appearance, is something that all of us need to be doing with our hearts, in our minds, this, should char- this kind of humility um, should characterize our own awareness uh, and our own actions and, and what we say. Um, the beginning of finding forgiveness with God is admitting your sin and realizing that you're just no better than anyone else. And so then the king institutes a fast. Verses 7 and 8, he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh um, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And so the king says, look, we all need to turn back to God. We all need to admit our sin and change. And I like this because the king does it himself and then he tells everyone else, right? This is good leadership, right? Leaders can't lead where they haven't been. And so the king goes first 
and says, look, I'm going to humble myself. We all need to humble ourselves. We need to admit our sin and change. And so while Jonah, think about this, while Jonah is preaching this message of doom and destruction and the coming judgment, the king began to preach that we need to own our sin and change our ways. And this nationwide fast, don't eat, don't drink, um, in the Bible, and not just in the Bible, we all know this, food gives us strength, right? That's what food does. It gives us the ability to do things. And so fasting, when we go without food and water, what fasting does is it says, it demonstrates through our actions that we are in trouble and we can't save ourselves. To go without food means you're declaring, I don't have the strength to fix this. And so fasting is done um, in lots of different situations. But here, the king is saying, look, we are in trouble. We're being called up by God. We're being brought to account. Judgment is coming. And our strength isn't enough. It's not good enough just that we turn from our evil ways, but we need to go beyond that because we cannot save ourselves. Our strength is not enough. We need to turn from our evil ways But even if we do that, that's not enough to save us. Um, Just reforming your life is not enough for God. And the king acknowledges that in verse 9. He says, who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And so this king is acting and leading in this direction in blind hope. Okay, you see this? There's no, there's no good news in Jonah's message. There's no hope in Jonah's message. It's literally, hey, 40 days and you're gone. And yet here the king says, who knows? Let's get our act together. Let's return to God. Let's stop doing evil and turn from our evil ways. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe God Maybe God will forgive us. The question is, then what's God going to say? Like, how's God going to react? And remember, this isn't just a person who's sort of down on their luck and they finally realize that they need God in their life, and so they cry out to God for help. I mean, we kind of have a sense of what would be even almost fair and right for God uh, to respond to that kind of, of a cry. But remember, how, uh, the question we're asking is, how will God respond to these actions of the Ninevites? Right? Will God forgive these people, this evil, oppressive nation that has destroyed his people, that has enslaved and oppressed his people? How will God respond? Verse 10 tells us, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Will God forgive? Of course he will. Of course he will. Why? Well, because God is gracious and God is kind when people come honestly confessing their sins, God is always ready to forgive. 
Think about this. Um, think about how challenging it is for you when you get angry with someone. How long does it take you to even be willing to listen to their explanation? I know that in my own heart, there's times where I get upset and frustrated. Um, sometimes it's with one of the kids. Sometimes it's with Elaney. Sometimes it's with a friend. Um, and they, be, they, and they come and they begin to acknowledge what they've done, and I kind of don't want them to do that. Because I know if they start telling me that they're sorry, that, uh-oh, like, I've got to, like, I know what I'm supposed to do here. You know, I know I'm supposed to forgive them, and I don't want to do that. Right? I don't want to forgive. I want to make them suffer at least a little bit, because they hurt me. Right? I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I don't want to just let them off, but if they say those magic words, will you forgive me? I have to say, yes, I forgive you. That's not the heart of God. I just want you to know, and every one of you needs to hear this. I needed to hear this this week. Um, If you are a Christian, you need to hear this. Because I know you struggle with sin. I know you're, you're not perfect. That being a Christian doesn't mean you're perfect. You continue to fail. You continue to do things that are wrong. And you have to go back to God. And when you do the same thing over and over again, and when you feel like your heart isn't changing, when you feel like you're not becoming the person that God wants you to be, you can begin to have this doubt creep up in your mind that says, God's not going to forgive you again, is he? You need to see that this is God's heart, that God stands ready. And for God, the beginning of restoration, the beginning of reconciliation is simply you in your heart saying, God, I am awful here. God, I'm sorry. This is wrong. It's offensive to you. It's harmful to people. It's not right or good. And when you do that, God says, yes. You're on my side again. In fact, I'm on your side because you're agreeing with me. Even the word confess, it's con and fess. Uh, Con means with, fess means to say. And so it's confess just means to say with someone else. And we confess our sins. We're basically just saying, God, we agree with you about this. And when we do that, God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. The Bible says God's mercy is new every morning. And so if you're a Christian, you need to know this is the heart of God and this is God's heart toward you. For those of you who are here and you're not Christians, if you haven't done anything as bad as what the Ninevites did, then to see that God responded this way to them means that God can respond this way to you. And if you have done something as bad as the Ninevites, well, then again, you're okay because God forgave them, right? Um, if you've been worse than the Ninevites, um, then the good news for you is that God didn't forgive them because they didn't get to a place of evil that was so bad that he just said, no, 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 forget it. Um, no, God forgave them of this evil because that was the evil that they confessed. And any evil that you are guilty of, any evil that you confess, this is 
God's response. When we confess our sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. And so, of course, God is willing to forgive. Um, And it's not just because of who he is, okay? Although that's enough. (laughs) We could be done and move on with a melted heart full of joy and the love of God because that's what that's designed to do. But there's something even bigger going on here. There's something even bigger that will help us understand the book of Jonah. It'll understand the purpose of God in Israel. It'll actually lead us to understand Christmas. The reason why God forgave the Ninevites is because this, what's going on right now in this story, in this chapter, in these verses, this is God's destiny for his people. Okay, this is God's destiny for his people. What do I mean by that? Well, God has made amazing promises uh, to his people from the beginning of his relationship with humanity. Okay, when God began the nation of Israel, he chose them so that they would be a people who would bless others. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 12, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, when God calls Abraham and says, I'm going to turn you into this amazing nation of Israel, he says, and in you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. He says, in you, through you, Abraham, through you and through your children and through your descendants, my blessings are going to go to every family on earth, every nation on earth, every kind of person on earth is going to be blessed through you. This was God's destiny for his people. And as God's predicting that, as God is promising that, God also makes some other predictions. In the book of Deuteronomy, again, early on in the Bible story, God predicts that Israel is going to fail him. God says, look, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go into the promised land. You're going to supposed to be the light of the nations. You're supposed to be the city set on a hill. You're supposed to be this thing that is the conduit. You're supposed to be heaven on earth. You're supposed to be the people that everyone will look at you and go, wow, that's how life should be. And wow, that God is amazing and more powerful and more wonderful than any other God, any other conception of anybody else's God. That's what they were designed to do and to be. And yet God said, look, you're going to go into the promised land and you're going to fail. You're going to fail. And I want you to know that up front because I want you to know that when you fail, when you turn back to me, I'm going to forgive you. And then all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so this is the prediction that God makes, that God would restore them and then their lives would bring all the nations back to God. And friends, this is exactly what's happening in Jonah chapter 3. This is all coming true. Jonah is living this out, right? He rebelled against God and ran away. And then he repented. He turned back to God and God saved him, rescued him. And now God is using Jonah to bring the greatest nation on earth back to him. I mean, this is God's destiny. God's people are fulfilling their destiny. Jonah is finally the running prophet, the disobedient prophet, the the I'd rather die prophet is now being used by God to change the greatest nation on the earth. 
And this is even better than chapter 1, right? Because in chapter 1, there were some people from the nations who worshipped God. Do you remember the sailors? You know, they were freaking out. Jonah's like, yeah, it's my God. He's pissed at us. And they were like, what? Wait, hold what? You know, and they're like, well, throw me overboard. And they're like, we don't want to throw you overboard. We don't want to make your God mad. And Jonah's like, look, if you don't do it, it's going to be bad. And they're like, well, we don't want to do it. And then they finally do it. And then the sea calms down and the sailors worshipped. And these were pagans. These were sailors from the nations. And so the nations were believing in God. So even in chapter 1, but, but what's bad about chapter 1 is that that was the nations coming to God because of Jonah's disobedience. But here in chapter 3, the Ninevites return to God because of Jonah's obedience. Because Jonah is doing it right. Like this is how life is supposed to be. God's people are supposed to live for him. They're supposed to do what he says. They're supposed to say what he says. They're supposed to give his word. And the people out there, God's going to use this proclamation to transform the hearts of people and nations. The message of Jesus is going to get farther and farther and farther out into the world as far as the curse is found. And at that point, when we see that Jonah is fulfilling the purpose of God's people, the destiny of God's people, now we can understand how this relates to Christmas. Like this shows us, this is like a prediction of Christmas. Because Jonah here embodies God's design for his people to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And here, Jonah is a picture of what Israel was supposed to be but wasn't. And this is what Christmas is about, right? Because after Jonah, Israel continued to fail. They continued to fail, and for hundreds of years, they failed. And so God comes himself. And Christmas is the celebration that when we have failed, God became one of we and did it right. Jesus comes because we aren't being God's people for the world. Jesus comes because we have failed to live out. We have failed. We've run from God. We've, we've wandered from God. We haven't done what God wants. But Christmas is this amazing news, not a news of judgment, not a news that the world's going to die in 40 days, but Christmas is God coming to earth with a message of hope that we can be forgiven that all of us runaways can come back. Christmas is the announcement that God has come to rescue and save his people. That Jesus takes the judgment that we deserve and now preaches the good news of hope and forgiveness to all the nations. To all the nations. Jesus was cast into the belly of the earth. And on the third day, he rose again and was raised with a new commission, with a recommission to reach the world with God's message of love and forgiveness. Man. If you're here today and you believe in Jesus, it's because the message of Christmas has reached your ears and your heart, and you have done what the king of Nineveh did. And so, what does this mean for us? Well, it's relatively simple. Like this chapter is simple and yet it's profound and it will challenge all of us. Um, it calls us, um, when we confess our sins and return to God, two things happen. 
two things happen. Let's see, first, God saves us from his judgment. Okay, we've seen that already. But just to make it abundantly clear, when you confess your sin and return to God, God saves us from his judgment. Our sins deserve punishment, and God will forgive you, and he will relent from the disaster that will fall on everyone who doesn't turn back to him. And so God saves us from his judgment, but then also when we confess our sins and return to God, God uses us to save others. God uses us to save others. Because what Nineveh experienced is exactly what Jonah experienced. Okay? Jonah experienced judgment and then forgiveness. And this is God's design. Okay? God's continued design, God's destiny uh, is that found is this. It's found people finding people. This is what we see in this chapter of Jonah. We see found people finding people. Because we think our sin means God can't use us. We think our sin means we have no business opening our mouths or helping somebody else or sharing with somebody else who God is or what God is like. That's what we think. We think that our sin, we think our brokenness means that we should just keep our mouths shut, that we don't belong, that we shouldn't even come to church sometimes. That's a temptation. This is what we think. But it's not what God thinks. When we sin and then we confess our sins and return to God, God says, okay, now you are ready to share with them, whoever them is. Right now you're ready. Why? Well, God doesn't need good people going out sharing the message. He needs forgiven people going out to share the message. He doesn't need people who go out and say, oh yeah, y'all are screwed up and you really need to fix this. And if you don't get your act right, God's going to destroy you. God needs forgiven people who say, you know what? Um, Here's how God has loved me in my life. Here's the brokenness and the sin in my own life that God has forgiven I don't think I'm any different from you and the hope that God has given to me, the peace that I have, the assurance that I have of God's love, he now offers to you. It's found people, finding people. This is God's design. This is his destiny. And he invites all of us in to this. Now, very few of you are going to be in a position like Jonah where God's going to call you to preach to a nation. Okay? Like, I understand that. And so the principle, the story of Jonah, though, is the same. That we should confess our sins and return to God. And then we should ask God, God, who? Who in my life do you want me to share with? Who can I go to? Who can I share with? Who can I talk to about what you've done for me? How can I help somebody else understand what really happened at Christmas and what it means about who you are? That's the call for us. This is the perfect time of year to do this. What do you love best about Christmas? Well, family, you know, friends, gift giving, it's great. Those things are awesome. I love them. 
The most amazing thing to me about Christmas, though, is that God would come to earth because he cares that much. That's how it starts. And this is how God has cared for me. Like all of us this week, to lean forward and just ask God, God, who is it that I could share with? Who is it that I could tell uh, what you've done for me? And if God's putting someone on your heart right now, might be someone at home, might be someone at work, might be someone in your neighborhood, um, write their name down and begin to pray for them and ask God to open up a door. Let's pray together. Father, this you have such a bigger purpose for our lives than we do. You want to use us and our influence. And we confess that we just don't think about this often. We confess that we want to sort of go through our own lives and, and do our own thing. And uh, if you hit us over the head with a ton of bricks, then maybe we'll open our mouths. But God, right now, we want to confess that and return to you um, just with a desire that says, Lord, here we are, send us. Send us into the, into the world. Send us into the lives of our friends, our family members, and our coworkers, our neighbors, and help us to share with them. And Jesus, I pray too that for those of us who have sin in our lives that we're holding on to, would you help us to leave that sin and come running to you? Thank you for being a God who is quick to forgive and willing to relent. If it wasn't for who you are, God, none of us, none of us would be able to stand. None of us would have an ounce of joy or happiness. But because of your goodness, we have all these things. Help us to live in these things and to multiply them to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.